6 today, and we're going to look at the account of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 1. This account does have a lot to teach us. Uh, there are a lot of themes that run throughout this, throughout this chapter, things like uh, courage and, and God delivering His people and things like that. But the one that we're going to focus on today is prayer. Now, prayer may seem like a, a strange place to part in the story of Daniel and the lion's den, but it is a central element of the story. And I think probably all of us here, if I were to, if I were to take a poll, probably everybody here would say, yes, prayer is important. Prayer is essential for a Christian. Prayer is needed. But we would at the same time say we don't pray as often as we should. We don't pray as diligently as we should. And so hopefully the lessons that we see in Daniel's life and, and his example will help help move us in the right direction when it comes to these things with prayer. Because uh, we need to have our prayers heard in heaven. There are some things that can keep that from happening. We're going to see in, in just a minute. So look at you at Daniel chapter 6. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then the Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius lived forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition of any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. And I just want to pause there for a moment. They're really appealing to his pride. They're basically saying, You, O king, are so great, so mighty, so wise. If anybody were to, to, to ask a, a petition, if they were to pray to their god, any god but you, O king, that would be wrong because you are sufficient to meet their needs. You are so wise, you can answer all their, all their questions. So they're really appealing to his pride. And this deal with the lion's den, that was probably uh, a form of capital punishment they had back then. So look at verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction, now when Daniel knew that the document, document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they asked and spoke before the king, 
Uh, then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you have signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel, and even unto sunset he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Now I just want to uh, pause there while we take a look at, at some of this other uh, some of this stuff in, in more depth. The first lesson that I see in Daniel's life about uh, about having a good prayer life is that we need to live a holy life. We need to live a holy life. Now, I'm not saying we have to live a perfect life because none of us are going to uh, achieve that. And that may seem like a, a strange place to start to say we need to live a holy life if we're going to have a good prayer life. It may seem like a weird thing to, to uh, a weird place to start, but it's really not. That's what happened with Daniel. He first was living a righteous life. Now, if you look at verses four and five. You'll see some of the best words that could have been said about Daniel and really uh, about us. It says that they could not find any ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to his, his job, his government affairs. They couldn't find any. There was no corruption. There was no mismanagement. He was doing a good job. He was being faithful to his king. Instead, they said, if we're going to find something to gripe about uh, uh, in regards to Daniel, it's got to be in relation to the law of his God. Now, that's a pretty holy life. You remember Jesus, whenever uh, he, was, he was with the, the Jews, he said, which one of you convicts me of sin? And nobody could do it. He was living, of course it's Jesus, but he was living a perfect life. Now Daniel wasn't living a perfect life, but he was living a holy life. And that's something that we should all shoot for, not just because uh, we want to do good, but rather uh, a holy life is a requirement for having our prayers heard in heaven. What does a holy life look like? Well, it consists mainly of two things, I think. First is a hatred of sin. When we hate sin, when we don't want to have anything to do with it, but also obedience. Being obedient to what God has said in His Word and what He's led us to do, that's a holy life. Now, why do I say that living a holy life is required for having your prayers heard in heaven? Well, I want to share a couple of verses with you. The first is out of Psalm 66 and verse 18. The psalmist says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That's pretty straightforward. Psalm 59, verses 1 and 2, um, and, and in, that, in that context, in Psalm 59, the, or Isaiah 59, sorry, Isaiah 59, the people of God are praying. And they're asking God to work and to move and to do this mighty thing, and God is not, God is not doing anything. Haven't you ever felt like that when you're praying? You're praying and praying and praying, nothing's happening. Well, the people are all praying to God and nothing is happening. And they're saying, why, why is God not doing this? It's like He's gone deaf. Why isn't God answering our prayers? And so listen to what it says in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is His ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that he does not hear. See, we look at that and we say, that's really depressing because I've got sin in my life. I sin each and every day, and I sin often each and every day. John talks about that in 1 John. He said, these things I've written to you that you may not sin, but when you do sin, know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so the the issue goes deeper than, than just having a sin in our life because God's made a provision for that. First John 1 John 1.9, what's it say? 
we'll confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the issue is more about how we feel about that sin. Listen to Psalm 66 and verse 18 again. He says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. In Hebrew, that word regard means to cherish. It means to love. It means to enjoy. And, and he's saying, if I cherish that sin in my heart, God's not going to hear. The, the, I'm not a big fan of the message translation of the Bible, the paraphrase, but I, I did kind of like this rendering. It says, if I'm cozy with the sin in my heart, if I'm cozy with it, Daniel's not, not having any of that. He's not being cozy. He doesn't cherish. He doesn't, he doesn't regard sin in his heart. He's living a holy life. You remember way back in, in the beginning of the book, he was taken captive. He refused to eat the king's food. He said, I'm not doing it. Give me some vegetables to eat instead. He was faithful all the way up through his life. Remember, he's in his 80s by now. He's, he's been faithful that whole time, living a holy life. And the, the, question, the question that's implied in this point is, are we living a holy life? Are you living a holy life? When you think about what's in your heart, do you cherish that sin? Do you regard it in your heart? Do you love that sin that you're doing? Because if, you, if you're real honest, you say, yeah, God's not going to hear your prayers. That's what the Bible says. That's not, that's what, that's not my version. That's God's version. If I regard wickedness in my heart, God will not hear my prayers. That applies to me, it applies to you. So if you're regarding, if you're loving, if you're cherishing that sin that you're involved in, you need to repent of it. You need to abhor that sin like God does. Then you can have your prayers heard. So the first thing is live a holy life. The second thing is we need to have a regular prayer time. We need to have a regular prayer time. What did it say Daniel did in verses 10 and following? Well, look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now his roof chamber had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. This is not a new thing with Daniel. This is something he's had going on for a long, long time. Did anybody here work in... Well, I, know, I know the answer to this. Raise your hand if you worked in Bible school this year. Great chance you worked in Bible school ever. Okay, you can put your hands down. Sometimes it feels like it's pointless, does it not? Because it is, I mean, because it's, it's hard work. And it's like, oh man, I'm doing all this work, and sometimes we don't see a lot of fruit. I grew up in church. I went to Bible schools and stuff a lot of, a lot of times, a lot of times. And I don't know when it was. It was, let's see. Carl, when did we? When did I start coming out to Bluefield? I was in what fifth grade. Okay, so it was before I was in seventh grade. So it, it was before then. That's been a long time ago, and I still remember a craft that I did, and I remember the verse that was on that craft. Lord, teach us to pray. Luke eleven one. It was on a bookmark. Mine was red, and we laminated it. I don't know where it is now. It's probably disintegrated, but but I. I don't know why I went off on that tangent, but the verse is important. Lord, teach us to pray. Because Jesus set the example of what a good prayer life is like. He gave us the ultimate example not only in His teaching, 
Remember the disciples, they looked at Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because Jesus had a prayer life that they wanted to emulate. They're like, man, his prayer life is on a whole other level than what my prayer life is. You ever been around those people? You just talked to him and it was like, ooh, that guy, yeah, he, he know, he, he's talked to God for real, that guy has. That's what they were like with Jesus. And, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so what did Jesus do? He said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Which really isn't the Lord's Prayer. It's the Disciples' Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. But anyway, he gives us the example by what he teaches, but he also gives us the example in his lifestyle. So you look at Jesus and you say, what is his prayer life like? Well, read through. He go away to pray privately. There's one incident, I think it's in the book of Mark. Jesus is doing all these miracles, and people start flocking to him, and, and they come looking for him early in the morning, they can't find him. Like, where's Jesus? And they all go on a search party, they find him off by himself, early, early in the morning, off by himself praying. And they said, Jesus, come back to town. You need to do some, some miracles. He says, let's go somewhere else. I need to do miracles elsewhere. But the point is, he was... He was going off by himself to pray. He was doing it privately. Isn't that what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, when you, when you pray, don't stand up and, and make a big show about it, but instead, go pray privately. Get in the prayer closet. That's what we, we have, have called it. Whenever he'd make a big decision, if you notice in the Gospels, he's getting ready to choose the twelve. Before he does that, he goes off and he prays. He prays before big decisions. He prays privately. Uh, the Psalms talk about seeking God morning and evening. That's a good, that's, if, if you think, well, when should I pray? Morning and evening, that's a good time. Morning, what should you pray about in the morning? Maybe, Lord, help me get out of bed. But, but what we do, we say, well, Lord, I know I've got this coming up. I've got this medical test coming up. I've got, you know, I've got this job review. I've, you know, I'm teaching this really tough stuff. The kids aren't getting it. Close to Christmas break, and oh, I've, I've had all this stuff I need to do. Uh, maybe you, you talk about things, you, you pray about things that are coming up in your life. Maybe you pray for wisdom. Lord, I don't know what to do here. My day, I don't know what's going to hold the stuff I'm pretty sure it's going to hold. I don't have any idea what to do. Lord, would you, would you help me out on that? Jesus said that we should pray to, to deliver us from evil, or some translations render the evil one. Keep us from sin. That's the good stuff to pray about in the mornings. What about in the evenings? Well, if you're like me, Lord, please forgive me for this, this, and this I did. Forgiveness. Lord, I was. I remember as I'm laying here, or as I'm kneeling here, I'm sitting here. Lord, I remember I was talking to this person at lunch, and they said, would you please remember such and such? And so pray about it. Or Lord, I know they said, would you pray about something? I can't remember what it is, Lord, but I know that you remember. Please be with them. Maybe a peaceful night's sleep. Uh, I mean, good, good stuff to pray about. Morning and evening. Even just one of those would be an improvement sometimes, right? Now, we all face obstacles to prayer. If I were to say, if I were to go to each of you and I say, do you pray as much as you should? Do you pray the way that you should? None of us here would say yes, I don't think. Because we all face obstacles. Daniel's obstacle was very human. 
He carried a death sentence with him uh, for him if he prayed. Now, can you imagine if I were to, if if he were here today and that and uh, and Obama had issued the same decree, and I said every head bowed and every eye closed, I bet every head would be up and every eye open, right? If that's the way it was today. Well, in Daniel's time, Darius he'd issued the same thing. Can you imagine going to synagogue? Please stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. I bet everybody be looking around, you know, had the eyes wide open. Or at the very least, if they prayed, they wouldn't be acting like they were. They may be going about their business acting like they were not praying. I really like this quote from Matthew Henry I saw as I was preparing for this. He said, We cannot live a day without God. And can men live 30 days without prayer? Yet it is to be feared that those who, without any decree forbidding them, present no hearty, serious petitions for God, uh, to God for more than 30 days together are far more numerous than those who serve Him continually with humble, thankful hearts. And that, that was, I thought that was a good quote. I may not have read it very well, but that, it was a good, good thought. Probably more people who, who, who are not praying when they could, well, you get the idea. Anyway, he faced obstacles. He carried a death sentence if he was found praying. He faced other obstacles too, like too little time. You ever you ever use that one as as reason you don't pray? I don't just have enough time. My day's too short. Not enough hours in the day. But think about think about what what Daniel's doing. You say, yeah, but he lived in the Bible times. He didn't have a phone ringing. He didn't have kids running around him that we know about. But think, he's the he's number he's one of the top three guys, top four guys in the whole Medio Persian Empire. And he's getting to, getting ready to be number two. Think how busy his schedule was. He was too busy not to pray. Now our our opposition isn't usually outward, isn't it's very subtle. But we face some of the same things. We 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 face um, uh, distractions. You ever you ever try praying and the phone rings? You don't get a call for a week. As soon as you bow your head, ring ring ring. Oh, right, I got the phone with him. Ring ring, and it's just constant. Dear Lord, Daddy, Mommy, Honey, exhaustion. I'll, I'll confess to this one. I've fallen asleep while I've been praying. You done that? I, I have, and this is no no lie. I have actually fallen asleep on my knees in prayer, and I fell asleep. That's being tired. Sometimes we do that. Busyness, we're just torn in so many different directions. Pressure from work, family, sometimes even church. And so what do we do? We say, well, I'm just so busy, I'll pray when I'm in the car. And then we get in the car, the truck. What do we do? Turn on the radio. Start rocking out as we go to work. Oh, I've got to have something pick me up, so I'm going to turn on this music. We forget all about prayer. Then we get to work. We say, well, I'm 10 minutes early, so I'm going to pray. I'm just going to get by myself. I'm going to sit in my car in my truck. Or I'm going to I'm going to go in, but I'm going to get all private and, and just focus on God for at least a couple minutes. And inevitably, if we're sitting in our vehicle, somebody will knock on the window. Hey, I saw you. Or we're in the in the in work, and somebody will come in and bother us. So then we don't pray then. And so then, it comes lunchtime, we say, well, I should really pray over my food. Well, man, all these people. 
people around, I don't really feel comfortable bowing my head, so I was like, go to for the food. And then we'll eat. And then we get home, and we got all this stuff going on, gotta get, you know, gotta get food on, gotta take care of the animals, gotta take care of the kids, gotta, gotta take care of the kids that act like animals. And, and then it's time for bed, and we're like, Lord, I'm so tired, I'll just catch you in the morning. Isn't that what we do? I've, I've done stuff like that. We're so busy. We, 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 we don't pray. Or when we do pray, you ever pray but not been there? You know what I mean? You're praying, and you start thinking about all these things i got to do. Lord, I'm, I don't have very long to talk to you today. Here's what I need. And even then, you're still thinking about what you got to got to get done. Daniel, he could have let all these things stop him like we do. But he didn't. He continued on, and, and he, he was so regular, his, his enemies not only knew that he was praying, they knew when he was praying. Isn't that something? Why? Because there's consistency, there's discipline. And I like it. He didn't go to go into the go into the uh, to the royal court and be like, "Oh, you're going to tell me I can't pray." Well, watch this. Oh Lord, he didn't do that. He didn't put on a show. He also didn't close up his windows and hide. And again, the convicting question that's presented to us is whether or not we have a regular prayer time. Do you have a regular prayer time? Because if not, I challenge you to, to, to today decide when your prayer time is going to be. And I'm not saying you have to set aside two hours, one hour, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Set aside some time and pray. And when you do pray, be present in your prayers. Okay, so look at, look at verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. In other words, um, in Babylon, the king was the absolute ruler. If he said, you're going to die, you'd be put to death. You're gonna be, if he said, you're spared, you're saved alive. But in, in the medio Persian Empire, they would make a law, and if the king said it, he couldn't go back and say, oh, takes you back, seats. I'm going to change it. I changed my mind, change of heart, change plans. It didn't, he didn't do that. He said, if, if this is the law, that's it. And the king was bound by, by the law. And so the king has made this law, and they're basically saying, no taxis, backsies, you can't change it. And the king's very greed. He's unhappy with that. Verse 16. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Verse 19. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den, when he had come near to the den of, of Daniel, uh, near to, when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the, the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me 
inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders, and they brought those, those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. The last thing I see in this is that, that we need to pray in times of distress and trouble. We need to pray in times of distress and trouble. Now, you say, but Pastor, we just read that, and it doesn't say that Daniel prayed in that situation. No, it doesn't say it explicitly, but I think I think it's safely assumed, and I think it's implied. Number one, I think it's assumed because, well, if you're going to be thrown into, if you're at Dickerson Park Zoo and somebody said, I'm going to throw you into the lion's pen, you'd be saying, oh, Lord, help me, right? You'd be praying. Well, I think it's safely assumed, but also I think it's implied because if you'll notice in verses 10 and 11 when it talks about him praying, there are four different words that are used to speak of his prayers. The first, it says he was praying. And the Hebrew word, or the Aramaic word rather, in that, uh, in that verse means kneeling. He was kneeling. He was going to God. And then it talks about him giving thanks. And the word, the Aramaic word there means to revere or to worship. You remember Paul said, uh, present all your petitions, all your supplications with what? Thanksgiving. That's what he was doing. He was thanking God, probably for the goodness that he'd been shown throughout his life. But then if you'll jump down to the next verse, it says when these guys came in, and, and the wording that's used is a very tumultuous group, they all come in, they all rush in, they find Daniel praying, and the, the two words that are used there are petition and supplication. Petition means a re making a request. He's seeking. He's asking something of God. Probably, he's probably asking for some wisdom. Probably asking for courage. Lord, I know that if I continue to pray like I'm doing right now, I'm going to be thrown through the lion's den. That's why they're doing this. Lord, let me know how to, how to respond. Give me the courage to not back down. And then he was, is, uses the word supplication. And this word is only used one other time in the whole Bible. And that's back in chapter 4. And that's when Daniel was talking to Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, Turn from your wicked ways and show mercy to the poor. Same word, show mercy, supplication. He's asking God for mercy. He's asking God for grace in his situation. Why? Because he knew he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. Now somebody suggested the reason that he wasn't eaten from the, by the lions because he was all backbone and gristle. And that may be true, but I don't think so. The ancient uh, Jewish writer Josephus, he talks about this. And he says that when this happened, and of course he's not inspired, but it's, uh, I don't know if it's just his opinion or uh, the Jewish tradition at this point or what, but when, uh, according to him, when Daniel was taken out and he was okay, these guys that... Uh, that accused him, they wouldn't say, oh, this is a miracle from God. They said, it's because the lions aren't hungry. And so Darius says, okay, you guys go in. And, but I, I don't know if that's the case, but but, uh, but, but God clearly worked a miracle. And, and, and Daniel was facing a, a terrible situation just like 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God delivered him. And it's natural for, for us to call on God in times of trouble because that's when we recognize our need. Now, we always have a need of God, but we usually don't feel it until we realize that we really do need Him. And God delights in helping His people. He's not up there like, Oh, I hope nobody comes to ask me for anything today. They're, gonna, you know, they're not going to be happy with what they get. No, it's nothing like that. Because the Bible says that Jesus is our great high priest. He is, he is touched with our infirmities. He's been there and done that. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what it's like. And the Bible talks about him being, him rushing to the aid of those who call on him. So in times of trouble, call on God. And I don't know if this any of this has been convicting to you all, but it was to me. Because when I read this, and I read about the holy life that Daniel lived, and I look at my own life, and I read about how regular he was in prayer three times a day, and it was always, you know, same. I imagine probably about the same place, praying, same time of day, every day. That's discipline. And I look at my own life and say, I don't have that kind of discipline. That's convicting to me. You know, we need to be a people of prayer. Jesus said, God's house is to be called a house of prayer. And the first part of that is living a holy life. And if you're not living that holy life, you need to get right with God today. Repent. Abhor your sin. Ask God to help you see your sin the way He sees it. And then you need to set aside some time to have a regular prayer time. Not because it's some magic charm that's going to make the day go great. That's why I've heard so many people talk about, Oh, I didn't pray today. I bet my day's going to be bad. You ever said stuff like that? Where you say, Oh, I prayed today and my day was great. It's not a magic charm. It is helpful because we're getting to go to God and, and, and visit with Him about some things. But, but it's, it's to, to get closer to God. It's to begin to think the, the thoughts of God after Him. And so I would challenge you, maybe just set aside 10 or 15 minutes to pray. You say, 10 minutes, I'll have time left over. Okay. Take the 10 minutes anyway. Take, take, the, take the 5 minutes that you wouldn't have used before anyhow. Use those to pray before you leave for work in the morning. Go to God in prayer. And if you're in some sort of trouble, call on God. You know that we, we sang, tell it to Jesus earlier, and there's a line in there that basically says, if, if we'll take it to Jesus, He'll make all my troubles quickly in the end. And that, that kind of bothers me because He doesn't always. Daniel could have said, Lord, I'm facing this situation, and God said, okay, well... I'll just change the law of the Medes and the Persians. I'll make everybody forget about it or something. But he didn't do it. Daniel still had to go through it, but God was with him. Call on God because he'll be with you. Now, earlier I said that God had a provision for, for sin when we, when we fail as believers. If we'll confess our sin, God's faithful and just forgives our sins, cleanses from all unrighteousness. That's the same provision he has for everybody, believer and unbeliever alike. And if you've never... Repent of your sin if you've never come to Him for salvation. Christ alone provides it. Come to Him for